Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. We begin with an earnings alert on Uber. That stock hitting the skids in the after hours after reporting its biggest loss ever. But Uber is reclaiming some of those losses now down just under 5%. The company's conference call is kicking off at this very moment. We've got full team coverage listening in to that call to break down all the big headlines. Fast Money friend Gene Munster is manning the red phone. But let's begin with Deidre Bosa and more on Uber's big miss. Deidre, what are the details here? Well, Melissa, Uber's results didn't just miss, but they looked particularly ugly next to Lyft's big beats yesterday. Revenue grew just 14 percent versus Lyft's 72 percent. And as you mentioned, its quarterly loss was its biggest ever. Now, a large part of that was costs related to its IPO. But Uber is also facing ride-sharing competition in markets abroad like Latin America and India. Competition is even stiffer in food delivery. We saw that play out in this earnings. It's Eats Business. CEO Darwar Khazar Shahi telling us that they're likely to keep losing money here for years as, quote, there's a lot of capital chasing a lot of growth. As for the question of overall profitability, this is what really matters most to the street. While Lyft was pretty direct on their path last night, saying that last year was, in fact, peak losses for them, Khosrow Shahi was far less clear, telling us, quote, we think that 2019 will be our peak investment year, and we think that 2020, 2021, you'll see losses come down. I think our break-even is something that we can push the company to break even if we really wanted to, frankly. He added, no doubt in my mind that the business will eventually be a break-even and profitable business. The question, of course, is when. Guys, digging into that idea that the price wars are easing in ride-sharing, this has been a theme this year, something that both Uber and Lyft have been suggesting. Now, that may be true in the U.S., which is why you might have seen Lyft post really good results. But take a look at Uber's revenue in Latin America, an extremely important market to the company and ride-sharing abroad at large. Uh, Revenue actually fell by 24%. The story here is that Chinese ride-sharing firm Didi has been moving in aggressively. Now, in the U.S. and Canada, I should note, which makes up a bigger proportion of the total, but where there may be less opportunity, ride-sharing grew 19%. That is still far below Lyft's number. Now, asked about the shortfall in revenue and gross bookings, Khosrow Shahi said the developing markets develop and the law of large numbers at some point catch up with you. Melissa, back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. We'll check back in with you in a little bit. Uh, a little bit. But uh, in the meantime here, I mean, if that is a path to profitability, that's like saying, Sometimes go that way and keep walking. I mean, it's hardly a path, Guy. I think I'm going to play for the Giants tonight, but it's not going to happen. He thinks a lot of things over the next three years, none of which might come to fruition. As the CEO of a company, I think you have to have a, a little more certainty in something. With that said, you know, it's, I'm glad Deirdre brought up Latin America because that's their second biggest region, down 24% year over year. That's a big deal. Now, granted, U.S. and Canada is four times the size, but when you have those kinds of uh, rate, when you have those kinds of losses or declines, that's problematic. On top of that, the fact that they don't seem to have a path to profitability, and last night we heard Lyft may have one, makes you sort of say, you know what, Lyft is actually a better quarter last night than we actually probably thought at the time. 
And it just goes to show that Uber's probably continues to be a no-touch. Yeah, so what I think is really interesting is that, you know, it really is a tale of two days here. And these are two very different companies. Despite the fact every Lyft you get into, that guy is probably driving for Uber. And every Uber you get into, that guy is probably oh, driving guy? for Lyft. Also, lowercase. But oh, I, I, I guess the point is, is that if you believe in this whole rideshare business and you think it's going to be something that's going to continue to grow for years and years and then you believe in autonomy right and the same sort of thing you know looking at lyft it's just a pure play on that in north america and we know that that is a market that is much more easy to model for a whole host of reasons okay so you know th- these two quarters just tell you that i'd much rather take a shot at lyft right here if you think that this is a technology that you want to be exposed to for a long time the losses at both of these companies are staggering and this is going to be a story we're going to be talking about there's going to be tons of volatility quarter to quarter about losses that we see for years to come. Deidre was talking about investment, and it's not just investment in the moonshot businesses and in food delivery, but they're also investing in the autonomy part of it. Lyft is doing joint ventures, which seems like a much much better, safer way of approaching it. I think they're playing defense. And and, you're talking about the pure play versus the the other play and where, look, in North America, you also have robo-taxis. I mean, GM's getting into the space. You have a lot of very significant players. So, um, yes, you need to have international. Didi, by the way, I I would not discount the Chinese on this. I think they're a very real competitor. Uh, But think about where we are day over day, both in terms of uh, what was said by Lyft and what was said by Uber and what the market has done. Uber was up 8.5% today, folks. So if you think about it, so you're up 3% over the last couple days, having digested earnings that could have been problematic. I don't know where we're going to trade tomorrow, but judging by how the market has at least interpreted the, the news and the call to this point, it, it's not a huge surprise that Uber's pulling back. Yes, the profitability needed to be different. Yes, industry trends that Lyft talked about yesterday, you didn't hear Uber talking about, and they sound like they're playing defense. That's What does this tell you, Pete? It tells me con- that Lyft is winning right now. In in the Lyft US. is winning in the U.S. You look at the revenue growth that they showed, even if we take out Latin America. Let's look at what the growth is for Lyft right now, what we heard yesterday. And the road to profitability seems to be a little bit more clear, at least right now, from Lyft than it is from Uber. So I think this, this sort of tells me what we were thinking last night, which is, hey, Lyft is probably taking a little bits and pieces away from Uber. They're, and granted, Uber was much larger, but they're taking a little bit of that market share away. And because of that, they see the path to where they can make money at some point in time. I'm not as, as sure as Deidre was in terms of talking about Uber and the pop- profitability. When? When? I don't know. When When do we actually still see that? I don't know that that was very clear. I thought that was actually pretty foggy in terms of, oh, we will make money. But that's basically what they said. We're going to make money someday. When? I mean, that's the issue. I think Lyft showed us, hey, we're not that far away from being a profitable company. To be fair, for a company that recently went public, that is supposedly a high-growth company, you would forgive them for not having a path to profitability. Why is this case different? And how different Uh, is Lyft? Because their growth is not as strong? Right. And how how long ago did Lyft IP? I mean, these, these are very similar companies, and I know Lyft came first, but... Still, Mel, why does Lyft have a better vision going forward right now than Uber? That, to me, is puzzling. I think the way public companies and private, private companies are coming to market today, um, I, I, I think the bar should be profitability by the time they come to market. So private companies are paid to have growth and to be basically investing in the future. But the, the extended duration of how these private companies are incubating in the private markets, having raised record amounts of capital, by the time you come to the public markets, I think you need to be coming with a public model that is profitability because the private markets don't care. 
Let's get more reaction to Uber's quarter and bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster. And, and Gene, we should note that uh, Uber has really turned around in the aftermarket. Uh, it's down only 2% compared to what it was initially. Um, you know, the staggering more than $5 billion loss really stung investors. But what do you, what do you think is pulling the stock higher at this point? Well, I'm surprised that the stock's not down materially on this, so I don't have a good answer of what's pulling it higher. I want to jump back on the call. And ultimately, what we have here is uh, there's a yield question, specifically about international. This is an international growth story. When you invest internationally, you give on the revenue per rider because they tend to skew a little bit lower uh, demographics in terms of income but you gain on uh, adding riders. And in this uh, recent quarter, the revenue per rider basically went from 33 to $32 sequentially. Recall that Lyft went from 38 to 40. But the rider growth sequentially was the same as a percent between Lyft and Uber, up 6%. And you can say uh, the law of large numbers, it's a 98 million versus a 22 million. But this is not a law of large numbers game that we're in right now. This is still an emerging market. We're talking about the potential of a billion and a half people globally that could do some form of ride sharing. 98 million is a small number. And so um, I don't have a good answer of any sort of uh, rebound in the stock here uh, beyond this uh, notion that, uh, that investors who believe in the story are willing to continue to wait this out. It's in essentially strong hands. It sounds like you think that in the emerging markets where Uber is banking on for growth in terms of rideshare, Gene, you think the competition is much more stiff than we had anticipated. Yeah, that's effectively what's happened. I mean, the Mexico example is uh, representative, I think, of what what potentially they're facing globally. And uh, in the U.S., we're here with Lyft and Uber, and you'd think that Uber kind of has free reign outside of the U.S. to gain market share hand over fist, and and that that is not the case. And so uh, you have two companies operating the same uh, general markets with very different strategies here. Uh, I would say that uh, Uber is the more aggressive company in in growth mode, international, and all these other bets with Eats and Freight. Uh, But ultimately, uh, it begs the question, when you have this type of investment window, a multi-year investment window, is it best to be in more of aggressive mode or focus mode? And it seems that uh, my read on this, as far as looking at the last two nights here, (coughs) it seems the focus mode is the better play. So Lyft is the better play at this point. And when you just compare apples to apples, Gene, in the United States, Pete was wondering if we should believe uh, that Lyft is slowly taking away pieces of Uber's business here. Is, is that your conclusion? Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, the numbers are quite staggering, the difference what's happening in the U.S. So Lyft growing at 70 percent. Uh, the growth of Uber in the U.S., again, that's all U.S., is probably somewhere in the high single digits to 10%. Uh, that gap has widened in the last quarter. And so uh, I think that uh, if you just look at the U.S. as the, the best path to profitability, recall that uh, Lyft is having the advantage of raising prices in the U.S. Uh, that's not what's going on with Uber's overall business. Uh, I think that there is uh, a strong case to be made that uh, that, uh, you know, this market share loss is symptomatic of what's going to happen in the future in the U.S. for for Uber. Gene, great to speak with you. We'll let you get back to uh, the conference call. We'll check in with you a little bit later on. Okay. Would you rather? Oh, I loved it. Straightforward. Would would you rather Lyft or Uber? Yeah. I mean, straight bang, right out of the gates. Well, the answer's got to be Lyft. I mean, I'm not saying you got to short Uber here. I don't know where Uber's going, but I think in terms of the...
in terms of both quarters over a 24-hour period, at least Lyft gives you some indication that they may be on the right trajectory, whereas, whereas Uber, for every $4 billion of revenue, they seem like they lose a billion dollars. That's not a win. Even I know. That seems to be a bit of a, a bad formula. You know, I'll just I'll, I'll take Uber. Why not? Because take it. It, I look day over day. If you think about the market moves right now, Uber on a two day where they both reported in both terrible market conditions and good market conditions, Uber's outperformed by four, including these numbers by four percent. Um, so, but the fundamental stories uh, at their core are the exact same. It's the same industry. It's just one one is a core play, one is not. Um, a lot of people have given a lot of credit to Uber having all those other businesses. I, I don't think we should forget about them. All right, coming up. More on today's mighty market comeback stock staging another monster rally. So is this the all clear for your money? We are digging into that. And later, a biotech beat down. We'll tell you what sent shares of Ameren tumbling in the after hours. Much more fast money coming your way after this quick break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was another wild day on Wall Street. Stocks surging with the major averages, reclaiming most of their losses from Monday's market meltdown. The S&P and Nasdaq are now positive for the week. So if you got scared off earlier this week, is it the all clear? Is this the all clear to get back in? Pete, what do you say? I don't know that it's the all clear because, quite frankly, I look at this as very much algorithmic moves to the upside, just like we're seeing to the downside. So I, I think that we are just in this market right now that's going to remain volatile. I know volatility came out of the market from 25 back into the 17s, but... I don't see where there's we're not one tweet away from the volatility going right back to 24 or 5 and some of the concerns about the trade war or a Peter Navarro. The commentary from anybody involved with the White House right now could easily push this volatility higher fast. So what does that mean? Stay on the sidelines? So, uh, well, I think you've got to be very selective is what it means for me. So, like, I've I've made a couple of ads over the last couple of days, but not nearly what I was making, you know, weeks ago, for sure. Listen, I think you want to keep an eye on the 10-year Treasury yield. I know that there was a lot of, uh, you know, noise about it trading 1.6, where it was 2%, what, just a week and a half, two weeks ago. But it's at 1.7, you know. And now the equity market has obviously caught a bid here, and it feels a little bit better. And the other thing is the Dixie is stuck right here, too. So I think those two things, where they are, are probably more indicative of where equities go right now. And I just think that if there is another low in yields, I think equities are going to go back lower because I just don't think you're going to get that positive headline that you're hoping for. And it won't be substantive if it comes out. They're going to try to jawbone some stuff. So to me, your, your question is, what do you do? I think there's some good opportunities today. I know we're going to talk about you know some things that reported. You had opportunities to get things that filled in earnings gaps over the last few weeks. They had good reports and you want to get back into them. One of them was Disney. Another one was Google. I mean, there's names like that, I think makes sense. Well, if you think about where we were on Monday, and, and clearly, you know, the sentiment on Monday was ridiculous. We had a special on CNBC. You know, if you asked, you know, there was universal bearishness. And if you look at the AAII bull bear readings, we're now at levels kind of mid to late December, both on bulls um, in terms of where bears are positioned. So it, we've had a massive change in sentiment. That is very important for the market. If you look at what's performed since Monday and how it's performed, though, banks continue to be very much underperforming. Small caps, very much underperforming. Emerging market's very much underperforming. There's no reason why those trends don't change. Uh, and what's pe- what are people doing when they wake up in the morning? As Dan said, they're checking the tenure, they're checking the yuan, they're probably checking oil. And those three things right now are going to continue to drive sentiment. 
Now, if you listen on these shows, because not only am I a participant in these shows, but I'm a, I'm a viewer as well. <laughs> like right now? Like, like well, no, well, well, now I'm speaking, so I'm a participant. Okay. But last <laughs> I'm night, trying Pete, to understand what you're saying. Well, if you <laughs> yeah. listen, I'll make my point. You keep interrupting. Keep talking. Well, last night, right. Pete said something that sort of stuck with me. He said, you're going to see volatility of the volatility index. And you know, it's very interesting, and he's right. You're going to see the VIX now go between probably 16 and 24 over the next month, month and a half. What we said last night was, you asked me, do you feel better about the market today? I said, yes, you had that flush. The market came back, set up today perfectly. Now, if you're looking for an exit point, just the opposite of what we saw the other day. You're looking for a huge move to the upside early, followed by a slow cratering, and that's going to probably be your top. And I think you're going to see that pattern for the foreseeable future. All right. Well, if you think this rally is for real, our next guest has three ways you might want to play it. Let's go off the charts with Oppenheimer, head of technical analysis, Ari Wald. So, Ari, what are you looking at? All right. Well, we've had a nice snapback today. But in general, when, when market volatility hits and thinking about uh, buy lists and whatnot, our focus shifts to our, our highest conviction ideas. And that includes technology. I think the points about the tech sector, as, as much as it ranks high in our, in our momentum work, you can't understate enough that no other sector has shown the type of broad-based participation across both capitalizations and industries. So let's, let's chart three tech stocks from three different industries, all setting up tactically uh, well in our, in, our, in our work. First one, PayPal. Top-down tailwinds from a strong mobile payments industry. Check out the iPay ETF. And here's what you have to know about the chart. Uh, right here, there's the 200-day moving average. Note that it's rising, indicative of an uptrend. Pullback into the 200-day, we define that as a near-term opportunity to buy long-term strength. No damage to the trend how we see it. <clears throat> Next chart, semiconductors, Texas instrument. This Texas really integral to what was a 19-year breakout in the SOX index, dating back to the year 2000. Now, here's Texas on a, on a, on a one-year chart, also getting through one-year resistance. Breakout in the chart, often former resistance, becomes support. I think it's checked back to that support level. I think building a base and set to start to turn higher. Texas, semi-setting up well. And then finally, software. Now, SAP, bit of a deeper pullback here, but also into its rising 200-day, there's a gap in the chart there as well. And when we talk about themes, no, how we see it, no stronger theme in the market than software. Could probably rattle off 50 software charts that are going from the bottom uh, le left to the upper right. Thematically, uh, you have broad-based strength in that industry, which is why we believe you can buy these pullbacks in a name like SAP. You know what, Ari, why don't you come on over? Right. Join us here on the desk. Jonah will bring the chair in. It's interesting. You said that as if you were considering not inviting him over, but it's like, you know what? Why don't you come over? You know, at every moment, it, there is a decision a to be made. I could have I easily not I, invited Ari, but I, 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 I have questions for Ari. It's, it's open. It's fluid. Um, we're, we're talking about this market rally, S&P and NASDAQ now up for the week. So what do you make of this big turnaround? And can, does that indicate strength in the market? Or how do you view this? I see this volatility that we saw more recently and the volatility that we saw in, in May as well is really a shakeout. You know, kind of how we're framing it, we've been in, we're at the tail end of a bear market rather than the start of one. If you, if you look, for instance, uh, at the MSCI All Country World Index, I think as a proxy for risk, risk peaked back in January of 2018. 
bottomed in December of 2018. That was the bear market. You know, since the, the strength we've seen this year, this has reversed some downtrends. I think we're in the process of basing. But as we talk about these non-confirmations and small caps, transports, overseas equities, I, I think that's more backward looking. I, I, I see those indexes at a stronger position now than they were last year when they were breaking down from distributed tops. I think they're basing now. And you still have to see the confirmation. That's the all clear. But I, I think we're getting there. Harry, to be bullish in software or, or tech, for example, or semiconductors, do you have to believe there's some U.S.-China deal on the horizon or no? I, th- I think that's probably more correlated to the semi-trade. Semiconductors really been trading on, off, in, 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 in line and in, in coinciding with, with the trade deal. Uh, headlines. I think software really has been that all-weather leadership. You know, whether rates are going up or down, software in recent years uh, has been able to withstand those oscillations. Ari, I, I get you can draw those trend lines from the deck 24 lows through kind of the May the May lows to where we where we test earlier in the week. And you're right, it's holding up across a number of different asset classes. But how about how about commodities and how about the breakdown in resource names? But definitely oil because these are charts that are breaking down. They're, and, and they are they are leading indicators in some sense in terms of where the global economy is. You're absolutely right. The equal weighted commodity index falling below multi-year support. Uh, if you look back historically, right, you want to see that stabilize. That I, I do think we're at a point where commodities are in a longer term range, much like how they traded in the 1950s and the 60s. As they do, actually. The 90s. Right. Uh, and historically, that's been bullish for the, for the market. You, you've seen some terrific uh, uh, bull markets coinciding with those commodity ranges. Good for the stock market, less so for stocks tied to those, tied to those commodity prices. I think that's why you've got to stay clear of energy. So, so, Ari, obviously the S&P 500 has been this outperformer on a relative basis to almost every other equity index in the world. What do you make of the fact you talked about that January 2018 high? Since then, the S&P 500 has made three new incremental highs, um, one last year in October. We had one um, earlier this year, and then we just had another one here in July. But they've been really slight. They've been by like 2% of the prior one. What does that tell you? Because to me, it tells me that the only time that it makes sense to buy stocks is when we Get a, when we get one of those pullbacks, but we're getting some pretty sharp pullbacks over the last 19 months. And is there enough to break it out? I, I just don't see what the catalyst is. Right. Well, the, the strength in the S&P, it, it's really all a play on tech. U.S. overworld, it's because it's S&P's got more tech. Big over small, it's because the S&P's got more tech. Growth over value, it's because growth's got more tech. So to, to really get the definitive breakout, you do need to see participation broaden. You need to see some of these other non-confirmations, small caps, banks, transports, get in the action. So we're, making, so we're not there yet. We're kind of stuck in this in-between where we haven't gotten the confirmation yet, but I think we're setting up to do so. Like I said, I think these markets are basing, not breaking down. Ari, thank you. Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. Pete, do you like any of Ari's picks? Well, the one thing he did mention when we talk about all these different commodities is gold. And and that's been on this absolutely unbelievable run to the upside, Mel, which tells me that people are still running for a little bit of cover. And that's why I think we're seeing gold and silver really moving to the upside. Once again, I'd say oil, it hit that 51 level and bounced right off it again. And it's happened multiple times now. So... I, I can see that there is a little bit of, uh, he almost is tr- sort of saying, hey, look, there's a little bullishness, but there's still a little enough bearishness that it's not like he's fully committed to the fact that this is market's ready to scream to the upside. All right. Up next, we are all over Uber. That stock off the lows in the after hours as the company's conference call kicks into high gear. We'll bring you all the big headlines plus a double dose of movers on our radar. We'll tell you what is driving the big action in Ameren and Symantec. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of biotech company Amarin falling hard in the after-hour session. Let's get straight to Meg Terrell at headquarters with the details. Hey, Meg. Hey, Mel. Well, Amarin has been on a tear since late last year when the company reported its heart drug, Vasepa, which a lot of people know as the drug derived from fish oil, was shown to reduce the risk of heart attack and other cardiovascular events in a major clinical trial. Now, the next step was FDA approval to have those heart benefits included on the drug's label, which means that the company could market around it and presumably get a big revenue boost from that. Now, Amarin said this afternoon that the FDA just notified it that it hold an advisory committee meeting in November to discuss the data. And because of that, the label expansion decision is likely to be pushed back from September to December. And that wasn't the only big biotech story of the afternoon. Sarepta also had a weird day. The stock dropped and then was halted after an analyst flagged a safety event for its important experimental gene therapy. The event had been posted on an online uh, FDA database. It took a few hours, but the company then clarified that the event had been posted what it said was an error, as the database is generally reserved for on-market drugs, and that the safety issue resolved quickly and an oversight board recommended the trial continue. But Sarepta's stock didn't quite recover uh, through the afternoon, Melissa. Back over to you. Um, the move for Amarin, Meg, it's amazing that three months cost the stock 23%. Yeah, there are some questions about whether people are going to start to wonder if the FDA is going to look more closely at this data or if for, for some reason it has some questions about it. When the FDA has an advisory committee meeting, it often means it wants more information from outside advisors uh, to help it make a decision. So that is going to have some people scratching their heads. All right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell on those two big biotech movers. Guy. Well, Sarept is interesting. I mean, you were definitely holding your collective breath when that was halted, and it was indicated probably to open somewhere around 110 or so, and here we are back at 133. I mean, Sarept, the story is real. I have to sort of dig in terms of what happened here. Obviously, there was some sort of glitch. The concern, if you're a technician, is these major double tops around 153. The best name out there, in my opinion, continues to be Amgen. Pete will probably back me up in some capacity, but at 13 times forward earnings, trading around 185 with their pipeline and the drugs that they have in market now, it seems to me like a logical place. They don't get the credit they should probably get, and it should make a run towards its all-time highs we last saw around 205 or so. And I, I would a similar take with a different 
way of looking at it. But Amgen is, is being criticized because HCV and HIV are businesses that seem very much capped and the pipeline's not sexy. But they don't have these types of issues popping up over and over again. And they have a tremendous balance sheet. But if you look at the IBB, that trend is down on the charts. It's not, it's not a trend. It's not a chart I want to buy. What's your top biotech pick? Biogen and Amgen both. You guys are exactly right on Amgen when you look at the fundamentals. It's basically a big cap. Uh, it looks more like a pharmaceutical name. And I own Merck, I own Pfizer, I've owned both those for a long period of time. I see no reason to get rid of those, Mel. But if I were to jump into any right now of the biotechs, those two I really, really like. And they've got great pipelines still. All right, we're also watching shares of Symantec on the move in the after hours. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the story behind this. Josh. So, Melissa, uh, Broadcom making official, they are going to acquire the enterprise security business of Symantec for $10.7 billion in cash. There's a conference call ongoing right now. Broadcom CEO Hock Tan saying that it strengthened his company's position as a leading infrastructure tech company across hardware and software, that it was a logical next step, Hock Tan saying, for Broadcom following those acquisitions of Brocade and CA Technologies. Says there will be meaningful cross-selling opportunities. He says that this is going to... Uh, drive more than $2 billion of sustainable incremental run rate revenues and generate more than $1 billion, Hoktan saying, of run rate cost synergies within 12 months. You know, interesting, I, I did check in with Bernstein, Stacey Rasgon. He covers Broadcom. He thought, listen, you can certainly make the case of why this kind of transaction makes strategic sense. You're adding cybersecurity software to your portfolio. Though he notes there are questions for investors to consider, though, um, that actually it's Symantec's consumer business that's way more profitable. It has operating margins there in the high 40s versus the low teens for the enterprise segment. And that enterprise segment is certainly facing a lot of competition from companies like CrowdStrike and Proofpoint. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Pete, do you like this deal for Broadcom? I do. I do. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think they're doing it at the right time. I'm also looking at Symantec and the option activity that we had just on the very 1st of August, where they were buying the 22.5 strike August calls. They needed to move fast. They got it. Those were 60 cents. And now, all of a sudden, they're worth well over a dollar and change. So, I, lo- I love what we're seeing right now. I think in the derivatives market right now, Mel, I've never seen it hotter in terms of indicating where stocks are moving. It's been absolutely on fire, June, July, and August. Yeah, so this seems like a company that's really trying to map out the next 20 years of its existence. You know, they tried to buy Qualcomm a couple years ago. That got dinged. So the CA acquisition last year, you know, I think what is interesting, what Josh just said on their consumer business, who is hurting them? Some of these newer companies, right, that they are cloud-based. Um, so here's a semiconductor company that's trying to get into enterprise software, and they're doing it in a big way in $30 billion worth of deals in a very short period of time after they weren't able to buy something that they wanted to buy a couple years ago. So to me, the What's jury's... desperate? But, I mean, well, no, what I'm saying is is that there's a reason that this thing trades at a discount right now. They've been taking on a lot of debt to do this, and the transformation is going to have to play itself over the next couple of years to get this thing back to a, a kind of multiple that some of its peers have, uh, you know, a, a higher multiple that's above a market multiple. So it's a TBD in your view? Yeah, I, I do think so. And, and then you got to see about all this integration and, you know. All right. We're also keeping an eye on Uber in the after-hour session. Uh, the stock is down by more than 4% right now. The conference call is underway. Uh, you'll hear what the CEO just had to say about the quarter, plus really the insiders. There is something major happening in the red hot IPO market that could spell trouble for your money. We'll explain when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Kraft Heinz getting crushed today. It is, in fact, the best kill today. Uh, the stock plummeting nearly 9%. The company posting a sales decline in the first half of the year. Plus, it tacked on more than a billion dollars in charges and write-downs and signaled more to come. Kraft Heinz touching its lowest level since it was formed uh, in a merger orchestrated by Warren Buffett and private equity firm 3G Capital. And this, of course, comes just months after it wrote down $15 billion yeah. on the Kraft and Oscar Hein. Uh, Oscar Meyer brands in its portfolio. What's what's going on here? When this deal was announced, it looked like a genius deal of financial engineering where the parties could come together, they could squeeze all the, the extra you know fat out of this machine. Um, and for a long time, KHC had better margins than their peers. In fact, they were up you know 600 basis points on margins to their peers. Um, the fact is that their core brands are losing uh, they're, they're losing a consumer appeal in, they're not in re- general. Relevant anymore. They're, they're not relevant. And then private label brands are eating their lunch, pun intended. And then you have a dynamic where the company has so much financial leverage that they can't get out of their own way right here. Uh, that's if you assume that everything is as reported. And frankly, there's a lot of things that people just don't know behind the scenes. They need like a Beyond hot dog or something. Uh, why? <laughs> Impossible. I mean, I, no, no, people you're right. People don't want to eat what they have to sell. You're right. And, it's, and, it's, and I don't want to say it's that sort of death. Dan has mentioned death spirals on this show before. You think that this could be a death nah, spiral? Well, to your well, point. Well, you brought it up. Well, because it, it trades that way. I mean, they have every lifeline thrown to them, and it continues to trade to the downside. I mean, at a certain point, you say, you know what? Maybe it is circling the, the drain. The drain. I was going to say something else, but you beat me to the punch. Well, I mean, think who owns this stock, though. That, that would be devastating. And again, think who put this deal together. The sharpest minds in the investment world, those with the most trust behind them, brought everybody into this deal. And this deal's yep. been a disaster. You know what's funny? It makes you wonder how many other bombs there are waiting out there. When you think that Berkshire Hathaway owns 26% of this thing, and this thing is just imploded. You know, it's got a 33 billion dollar market value and 31 billion dollars in debt from the genius minds who just loaded these things up there's you know this is just bull market stuff and when we start seeing some of this stuff unwind um there might be more of this is the options activity does it indicate circling the drain kind of i don't know if it's showing future? anything about circling the drains but certainly i don't know if those options are written yet but, <laughs> but there but there is always That's an option all, i'd like there, to there's see. always all, okay. all kinds of activity in a variety of these names this name really is hitting a lot so all right we'll see All right, let's switch gears here. It's been a hot year for IPOs, and that means a flood of lockups are about to expire. So could a rush of insider selling lead to a big leg lower? Leslie Picker is here on set with the lowdown on the lockdowns. Leslie. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you so much. If IPOs had levies, they'd come in the form of lockups. Their purpose is to prevent the flood of share sales by insiders after an IPO, but then typically six months later, the floodgates open when the lockup expires and anyone is allowed to sell. This excess supply can pressure a new company's stock price. For example, on Twitter's lockup expiration day in May 2014, that stock dropped 18%, even though investors knew well ahead of time that it was on the calendar. You saw the same thing last night with Lyft. In a unique twist, Lyft moved up its lockup expiration date by about a month to August 19th. Just the news alone that Lyft's lockup period was scheduled to end sooner than many may have expected reversed some of the earlier gains the company got on better-than-expected earnings. Now, analysts and investors are kind of waking up to this idea that the hot IPO market of the first half of the year could actually be a headwind for the market in the second half. 
Companies raised more than $38 billion through IPOs, more than any other first half since the dot-com era. They floated on average about 15% of their companies in this IPO process. And the remaining 85% represents upwards of $215 billion worth of stock that could come available for sale, a CNBC analysis found. Now, this includes names like Lyft, Levi's, Pinterest, Zoom, Uber, and Chewy. Now, not everyone will sell when their lockups expire, not even close, but more supply of stock in this recent IPO uh, market could spook investors with these lockup expirations, especially if the market turns to become more risk-off, more volatile, some of the stuff we saw earlier this week, Melissa. IPOs tend to come in waves because Mm -hmm. market conditions are good, the gates open, so to speak, and a flood of IPOs hit. So we must have been in this sort of situation before, no? Yes, obviously, in Mm -hmm. 2000, which is the the marker that we're always looking at with any kind of superlative in today's market. And that's what we saw so soon after that dot-com boom, where we saw this huge flood of activity with, with IPOs. We all know how that story ends with the market correcting. Also, the window for IPOs is open right now. That window, of course, the good thing about windows or the bad thing about windows is they can close as well. And one thing that closes an IPO window window faster than anything else is the aftermarket performance of recent IPOs going poorly. So if you start to see some of those names that we just mentioned really turning down, it could beget um, problems for the remaining IPOs in the pipeline because investors who are losing money on those previous IPOs aren't going to be willing to pay up for the future ones. Is this a problem for the broader markets? No, I mean, listen, when you think about it, how much we've had, what, uh, probably less than $200 billion of IPOs, most of that was in the form of Uber, you know, about three months ago. I just think it's really important to remember this stuff you can track. You can go to the S1s. You can look and see when this is going to happen here. But also remember, a good example, friend of the show, Rick Heisman from First Mark, mm-hmm. okay? He had this big Pinterest position. Investor. Pinterest. You know where he owns it? Like a dollar or something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So the stock's at 33, and that's what VCs do. They take a 10 year time horizon. This is the ideal scenario. So if you see headlines that longtime private you know, VC investor is selling a good chunk of his stake, that's not exactly fair. You just said, you, and you, you said it right in your last segment, talking about something else, which is that there's, there's capital is, is everywhere. This is what happens. It's a result of a bull right. market where money is free. Um, IPOs look a lot more attractive. There's also a short selling play as well where hedge fund managers will come in maybe two weeks before the lockup expiration date and they will short this going into that because there is, I mean, it's not a perfect arbitrage scenario, but studies have shown that companies on average do decline about 3% on the day that their lockup expires. Leslie, thank you. Good Mm -hmm. to see you. Leslie Picker. Up next, shares of Advanced Micro posting one of its best days of the year and options traders are betting on an even bigger chip rip ahead. We'll break down the action plus take a look at Uber on the move in the after hour session. We'll bring you the latest headlines from that conference call much more fast money right after this welcome back to fast money amd having its best day since january after google and twitter revealed they were using the company's new chip processor that stock is now up 83 percent this year and options traders are betting on some more wild swings ahead dan's over at the plaza to break it down dan yeah, so Mel is a massive day, up 15% on the day. Um, this after the stock had actually had a pretty sharp decline off the recent um, highs here. But options volume was about two and a half times that of average daily volume. Call volume was about two times that of puts. But interestingly, the largest trade of the day was a purchase of puts. But that was against stock. So buying put, buying stock out in November. It was the November 34 puts. And when I look at this, about 5,000 traded for 420. This is a play by a trader on 
future volatility between now and November expiration. And when you go and you look at the charts here, you say to yourself, I can see why someone might expect this thing to continue to move. This is the one-year chart. Obviously, the thing on a couple of occasions this year has found some resistance from a technical standpoint right around 35, and there's been some kind of sharp drops here. But those drops get magnified when you look at the five-year chart. Look at this thing. Obviously, we know what happened um, about a year and a half ago. It just went parabolic here, but we've had, um, you know, just these crazy peak to trough declines here. So to me, when you think that this thing now is right back up at that towards that 35 resistance level, playing for a move one way or the other or playing for a move, it doesn't matter picking a direction, makes some sense. And I'll tell you, here's the last reason why. Implied volatility, the price of options in AMD. While it's 50%, which is pretty large for most any one stock, implying multiple, multiple percentage point moves on a day, you look at this and you can see that it's at the low end of that one-year range. So this one trader in this trade is looking out and saying, you know what, I think option prices are relatively cheap in AMD, and I think it's going to make a big move one way or another, and this is one way to play it. All right, Dan, thanks for that. Be sure to catch our full show. That is tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, more on Uber's rough ride. The company posting its biggest quarterly loss ever. We just heard from Uber CEO on the call. We'll tell you what he just said. And take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking about the markets and where to put your cash after today's big rally. That is coming up at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast. Shares of Uber having a rough ride in the after-hours session on the back of the earnings results, now down 6%. Let's get back to Deidre Bosa with the latest from the call. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. This I thought was interesting. One analyst had a question on SoftBank's Vision Fund 2, whether it could be used to capitalize Uber's competitors. Have a listen. As far as SoftBank and, and uh, the Vision Fund 2.0, we're, we're as awe-inspired as everyone else as far as SoftBank's ability to raise capital and put that capital to work. We are sensitive as to industry dynamics. So uh, when we talk to SoftBank, we talk about things that are relevant to us uh, and we leave the investment up to them. Now, here's why that's so important. SoftBank and Mazasan, they rule the ride-sharing landscape, and they are a big reason behind why Uber is facing competitive pressures around the world. It's becoming a bigger and bigger player in food delivery as well, where Khosra Shahi admitted that it would take years for Uber Eats to become profitable. So SoftBank is now going to soon have a second additional $100 billion, a second vision fund to deploy, possibly to Uber's competitors, that could make competition even tougher than it already is. Now, more broadly, guys, Khosra Shahi has been pretty vague on the call. And analysts asked about how Uber balances driving top line bookings and bottom line. Khosra Shahi responded that it's more of an art than a science. And again, that is pretty stark contrast to what we heard from Lyft yesterday, which is more certainty that they're getting to profitability sooner than thought. Uh, Khosra Shahi was also asked multiple times about competition on take rates. He said he didn't want to get into particulars. And at one point, he said that car ownership is Uber's top competitor. And against that measure, they're faring well. When asked about rising competition in London, this is a market in which they've had a lot of issues. He said they're not seeing anything there that they're not seeing in 20 other cities around the world. And guys, I'm not sure if that's meant to be encouraging because London has been one of its strongest and most important markets. Back to you. Deidre, thank you. Uh, Deidre Bosa, let's get a final check-in with Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. Um, Gene, it, it sounds like he's ducking a lot in terms of answering the questions. He's being very vague. 
Yeah, I think part of it is just the reality of the business that they're in, that we're in investment mode, as we talked about. This is something that's going to take several years. There's so many moving parts. I mean, imagine uh, trying to scale this business globally in effectively seven different countries. At, uh, it, it is quite uh, remarkable the number of moving parts. So that's probably why some of the sidestepping the questions would agree with that uh, response, is that it's largely a lot of the questions have been sidestepped. The, uh, it has been a somewhat of a mixed bag, and I think at the core, you can get caught up in the details here. Big picture, still lots of moving parts of this business, uh, number one. Number two is that when you think about uh, these high uh, multiple stocks and these growth stocks, they need to really comfortably exceed estimates right out of the gate. Uh, this is the second quarter as a public company. They miss numbers, the top line, by 3%, the most important metric for a growth story. Uh, I, it's not all Uber's fault here. There is uh, some analysts, I'm sure, at, at fault, too, to try to get those correct estimates. But usually we don't see that. And I think another piece to this about the complexity of the business, it's not just about competitors like SoftBank and, and DD globally, but there's also changing dynamics in the U.S., and this impacts Lyft as well. And it's came up on both calls, the Lyft and the Uber call tonight, is this idea about what's going to happen with the treatment of uh, these independent contractors as drivers. And uh, one thing that the company said, Uber said on this call, is that they would like them to remain independent, but ultimately give them some of the benefits of employees. And when I hear that, in the back of my mind, I think uh, that is a potential uh, expense. And uh, that might take a year to figure out. But again, uh, that's just the reality of, of uh, changing in, uh, a way of mobility. It's many moving parts. Gene, why don't you uh, rate the quarter? Doesn't for sound us. good. I gotta tell you, three and a half. And that hey. also, yeah. I think the grade's but, but, gonna what, be poor. What is the rating? It's we're doing a rating because it is oh, Uber. Yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna give it a three, and uh, the uh, I kind of had to, uh, yeah, a three. And uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's this simple. It's, it's not a good rating. It was not a good quarter. And uh, the, the, uh, you, uh, as you know, would probably lose your right to drive as an Uber driver if you had threes consistently. This right. is not the kind of quarter that the company wants to have. All right. Gene, great to see you. Thanks for your analysis, Gene Munster Thank of you. Lee Ventures. And that is Gene's grade on the quarter. That is not Gene's personal Uber rating, which I'm sure is Whoa. a five, if there is any question up there. Okay. Up next, final trades. Pete. I got to tell you, huge buying today in Snap. They're looking for the upside. I'm looking for the upside. I bought these calls. Giddy up, Snap. Tim. So interest rates have come down. We know what this means for mortgages and refis. We also know this has been very good for the home improvement players. Look at that Home Depot chart. If you listen to Ari earlier on the call, this is one where you found the support, holding that support, Home Depot. See what's going on down there? Pete's already taken off his rig. Yeah, what's going on? Let's rock and roll, so, baby. So he might not be first, here in 30 no, seconds. I just, I just knocked out Mel's Uber rating. I'm 474. She's 473. He's 494. You I'm going to work hard to improve wow. that. Right. She's wearing her Lyft colors today. I, I think you buy Lyft into see. this August Lyft, 19th. Lyft, not Uber. Lyft into this August 19th lockup. Goes higher up. Bang. Four is the highest five? Yes. Yeah. I got a 494. Yeah. That's like wow. over Corbett. That's like an A. From like the 72 Olympics. You Remember that? Nadia Comaneci. Nadia Comaneci. PayPal, I like what Ari Wald said. All right. See you tomorrow on Fast. <laughs> Mad Money starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.